Welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter. And today, we'll be covering how the Bashir administration can't get its act together when it comes to minors in their care. Um, this time, the allegations center around excessive force, sexual misconduct, and the forging of official documents on the behalf of minors. And then we'll be talking about how the battle over school choice is really heating up in Kentucky. We'll cover why and how this fight is manifesting itself, not only in the current governor's elections, but in the elections we can look forward to in 2024. And we're going to have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. But first, please, I have to ask you, make sure you are subscribing to the channel. If you're listening to this on a podcast form, Make sure you have followed the channel. Make sure you have subscribed to it and ensure that you have left a review and signed up for notifications. If you're listening to this on Facebook, on Twitter, um, on YouTube, make sure you have also subscribed to, liked, followed the pages. And then finally, if you're on Twitter or Facebook, please leave a comment. Just say, hey, I enjoyed the show. Just let me know you've seen it, you're watching it, you're loving it. Uh, leave a reaction, share it to your page. Those types of things really help out our algorithm and continue to let this show grow. And it really has grown just over the last month, month and a half or so that I've been doing the show on a daily basis. We have seen quite uh, a pretty astonishing regular viewership growth, especially in the podcast format. And, and that has been mainly due to word of mouth. So please make sure you are telling others. But without further ado, let's dig into it. So the Bashir's administration has shown a complete inability to handle like any issue involving children. In fact, you can go back to a podcast I did uh, a few weeks ago where I talked about Bashir's track record with children. It's a podcast just focused on that issue because quite frankly, there had been a good number of issues that his, his administration has just shown complete and utter incompetence of handling in our state. Quite frankly, the way they handle youth and youth issues, I, I think, should raise to the level of criminal at this point. I mean, it is just awful. And, and, and quite frankly, it is horrible that any youth who finds them under the care of the state has to find themselves under the care of the Bashir administration with how terrible they are. I, I, I literally don't know how anyone can vote for this guy. And it may sound harsh to you starting off. It may sound like I'm really coming out full guns on this. But those of you who've listened to this show and have listened, especially to my other podcasts on issues involving children, especially under the state's care, this is something that bothers me quite a bit. You see, anytime we have children under the state's care, it's because somebody has lost their rights. It's because Either the children have lost their rights uh, due to their actions and behaviors or the children uh, are being taken away from parents who've lost their right to have children because of their actions and behaviors, or at least you'd hope so. Of course, that would assume the state is getting their child abuse investigations correct, um, which uh, based on how they handle everything else, I'd say there's maybe some room for questions. Anyways, but you, you would hope that's the reason why. And now these children are under the care of the state because one way or another, either they or their parents have failed them. And now it's up to the state to try to set this child 
on the correct path. If they're in foster care or if they're in detention center, have punished them for their crimes in a way that rehabilitates them, I guess, into the general population, but at the same time uh, uh, is a punishment that is conducted in such a way where um, they decide they want to fix and continue on. But regardless, anytime children find themselves in the care of the state, they have uh, given up their rights. And, and this hits personally for me only because obviously I have a child. Um, and anytime I, I look at him and I think about children, his age or near his age, uh, being mistreated, it is very upsetting. It just is. And I want to remind you of some of his administration failures so you can understand where my harsh words are coming from. First, he allowed schools to stay closed. Some of them longer than any other state in the country. I mean, look at Louisville Jefferson County Public Schools. During COVID, they were shut down. They stayed closed to in-person learning, almost the longest in the nation of any school district. This caused massive educational setbacks and have really hurt our children and our futures here in Kentucky. Then we have forcing private daycares to mask children as young as two years old. And if, for those of you who don't remember, during COVID, during his mask mandates, one of his requirements was that two-year-olds needed to wear masks despite COVID not showing any kind of massive risk to them, especially for their age group. But yet, for some reason, these little two-year-olds being forced to wear masks in daycare settings. Then you have uh, denying foster care contracts to Sunrise. Sunrise, for those of you who don't remember, is a foster care agency uh, that for years and years and years had been doing contracts with the state to help take care of these foster kids. Remember, our foster system overrun, uh, supposedly underfunded, low resource, what, whatever, whatever, not enough foster parents. But yet the state, under Bashir's direction, felt so fit as to not renew a contract with Sunrise because they were a Christian organization that wasn't going uh, to hand kids over to LGBTQ couples or things like that. So rather than have children at least have a place to go, uh, he decided he wanted to terminate that contract. And it wasn't until after quite a lot of negotiation that they finally were allowed to renew that contract with the state. But, of course, that hasn't left the state to uh, somewhat target uh, Sunrise and certainly be careful about how many kids they're sending their way. And it was due to this that led to, and, and this has been going on and continues to go on, I covered this on a prior podcast, that the Academy for Health and Family Services is housing foster children in their offices because they don't have anywhere to put them. And so they thought, well, this is the best idea. And they've been doing this now for at least over a year based upon their testimony that I played for y'all in front of the legislature. Additionally, we've got uh, the, the Bashir administration issuing guidance to schools to hide from parents if their children were transitioning or decide they're transgender. Something so egregious when you consider that transgender use uh, apparently have some of the highest suicide rates and knowing about their child going through that would definitely allow parents to be on the watch for those suicidal behaviors. But instead, uh, the Board of Education at the state level decided to issue guidance to hide that from them, issuing guidance to schools that they should teach K through fifth graders about homosexuality. And then finally, 
And this deals with the topic, the new topic we're going into, the housing of juvenile girls and boys together in juvenile detention centers that resulted in riots, assault, and violence, all of that coming together in one particularly egregious and awful incident where an underage girl was raped in front of a guard that was locked in a booth because of the massive amount of rioting going on outside the doors. And so you'd think with all this failure, the Bashir administration might eventually get something right. You would think that they would look at all this going on and say, wow, this is quite a problem. Our juvenile detention centers, this is a big issue for us, and we really need to start digging down deep into this. You would think that's what they would do, but sadly, like I said, you'd be mistaken. See, Bashir's actions on these issues have only gotten significantly worse. He's only gotten more awful at handling this, and he can't really seem to get it right. And he'll often blame a lot of things. He'll blame it on staffing. And yeah, everybody's having troubles with staffing. He'll try to blame it on, uh, well, you know, we just, just don't have enough people in the system can't pay them enough. But you see, the Republicans are trying to deal with this or have dealt with this. They put out bills with funding. We'll cover that here in a bit. But even if it is staffing, let's say that is what's causing all these issues across the board. Let's say all of these issues are being caused by staffing. Well, that would still fall to the Bashir administration's fault because it was the Bashir's administration and Bashir himself that decided to shut down employers and keep them shut down for longer than a lot of states. It was Bashir's administration that decided to lay off uh, uh, almost a million, over a million people in the state of Kentucky. It was Bashir's administration that decided to keep childcare facilities locked down and then prohibitively set up in such a way that parents couldn't get back to work. And these shortages then pushed other shortages, which caused closings, caused people to earn retire. Uh, and, and then also as well, promulgating uh, longer than most states uh, benefits, like allowing the extra $300 a week unemployment benefits uh, to people because they didn't have work after businesses reopened. All these issues created more and more of the staffing problems we see in Kentucky. But what's the most recent issue going on in our juvenile detention centers? Well, I'll be covering that right after this break. Now, before the break, you may remember I said that the Republicans have been trying to get Bashir to fix this issue. You see, really, we've seen uh, Representative Jason Nemes, who's a member of leadership, and he has really championed a lot of these issues, including dealing with uh, these juvenile detention centers. Now, Representative Nemus and I have had disagreements on the legislative actions in the past, most nobly the Bashir impeachment petition. However, on this issue, he does really champion the children. I believe he does care, and I believe the legislature does really care about it. I don't think this is a political issue, and I think the point in case is the fact that they could continue to allow Bashir to languish and not help him at all, creating headlines, especially during an election season, headlines that would continue to make Bashir look awful, but they recognize that this would mean children would suffer. So uh, the General Assembly passed some reform legislation 
uh, this past session. And it allowed them to spend tens of millions of dollars uh, in order to pay more to staff, enhance security, better mental health services, and lots of other measures. And in addition to this funding, in addition to this funding that Bashir received from the legislature, and because Bashir was facing some heat, Bashir decided that he would, uh, this was last December, that the Campbell County Regional Ju uh, Juvenile Detention Center, which JDC, that's Juvenile Detention Center, if you hear me say that in the future, that's what I'm talking about, or RJDC, talking about the Regional Juvenile Detention Center, would house teenage girls in state custody. And of course, that was following that rape that took place at the Juvenile Detention Center in Adair County. So he's going to decide, instead of housing uh, uh, juvenile males and females together, he's going to now try to house females by themselves, something that seems like a well-done moment, but anyways. But then he changed his mind in June. So he announces in December, look, we're going to go women only or girls only in Campbell County. And then somehow in June, he changed his mind, which is interesting because June is six months later than December, six, seven months later than December. So that means for six or seven months, he just couldn't get that move done fast enough. Anyways, and he said the girls instead would be sent to the Boyd County lockup because of the critical staff shortage going on in Campbell County. The boys would be held then at the Boyd County facility. Uh, the boys held at Boyd would then be uh, transferred over to Breathitt County. And then for now, Campbell County Regional Juvenile Detention Center would just be housing youths from the local northern Kentucky area. With these moves and this money, you would think this would have solved our juvenile detention center problem. Uh, but no, it seems that Bashir's people that he has hired and paid more money to just continue to be incredibly incompetent and unable to get the job done. I'll give you some examples from the regional juvenile detention center in Campbell County. First, the facility superintendent. His name's Craig McWhorter. McWhort Mc M C W H O R T E R. That's Craig McWhorter. We'll just call him the cruddy superintendent because he is truly um, pretty crappy at his job and probably a horrible person. And at least you think I'm passing judgment too soon. Wait until I get into this. So he was fired effective uh, August 12th. So this is just a few weeks ago. It was found that he violated policy by releasing a girl from custody on June 15th without asking the adult who collected her to present identification. So he released a minor to a person that just showed up, didn't require them to show any kind of identification that they were the proper guardian or to fill out the necessary paperwork. Instead, this piece of crap superintendent told the girl to sign the adult's name on the paperwork. And when his supervisor asked him, the superintendent of this facility was asked by his state supervisor, so you had a child for J-State document? Question mark. His response was, man, I really messed that up, didn't I? Now, just a day earlier, just one day earlier, this superintendent came into work at 1.22 a.m., staggering and smelling of alcohol. He was drunk. He came in to work drunk as a skunk. And then when he was told, like, hey, you can't. You can't be coming in to your business 
drunk, staggering, smelling of alcohol. He said, well, you know, I only came into the lobby. I know I'm not allowed in the building drinking, but I only came into the lobby, which, of course, his supervisor responded with, well, the lobby is the building. And on top of that, you were seen on camera, not only not in the lobby, but then interacting with juvenile girls in the intake area. So clearly, um, you didn't just stay in the lobby. But. That's not all that's been going on with this uh, piece of crap superintendent. No, 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 no. You see, um, earlier in this year, a youth worker, so a uh, another worker, um, grabbed a girl by her ponytail, punched her in the face, while this piece of crap superintendent, this Craig fella, placed his forearm against her neck and forced her face into the wall. So he places his forearm against a obviously juvenile girl under 18 girl's neck, forces her face into the wall while another youth worker grabbed her ponytail and punched her in the face. If you're blood boiling now, I'm not even, I'm not even done. I'm not even halfway done with all the issues that have been going on on at Campbell County Juvenile Detention Center like over the last several months. On February 11th, a mail worker was terminated for boundary issues with residents. He reportedly was uh, perhaps maybe calling these girls and talking to them off work, communicating with them inappropriately. That was what the allegations are, but he was fired and the stated reason was boundary issues with residents. Why do we keep hiring males to take care of females? I don't know. But we continue. Uh, They also had a kind of a standard policy of leaving uh, suicidal kids who are supposed to be on suicide watch alone. And this resulted in one incident where a self-harming girl on suicide watch, this was back on March 8th, because they left her alone, was able to enter a medical office, break into a sharp box, get a used needle, and stick herself in her already wounded left wrist, spattering blood on the floor. So you have a girl whose wrist was wounded, which makes me think she cut herself. So you have a girl who cut herself, most likely, on suicide watch, and they left her alone, and she was able to then get into the medical area, find a needle, and stick herself. I mean, you're supposed to be keeping all inmates away from sharp objects so they don't stab each other. And here you have a person on suicide watch able to get their hands on needles and stab themselves in their already cut wrists. You also have a uh, nurse inappropriately withholding prescribed medication and medical girls and, and, and medical care from the girls that happened in March. You have a captain who used excessive force on a girl when he pepper sprayed her for picking up paint chips off the floor. He's also no longer with it. And then finally, you have Kentucky State Police investigating potential criminal activity involving a male correctional officer and one or more girls housed at the Campbell Regional Juvenile Detention Center. And this is just pretty much this year. 
I mean, this is just incompetence on full display. And one of these things you will notice about every single one of these perpetrators, they're men. In fact, reading through all these incidents, I don't know. I think maybe one woman youth worker was involved. Otherwise, the nurse was a man, the superintendent was a man, that captain was a man. The guy now being investigated, the other guy who got fired for uh, uh, boundary issues, that's a guy. All these guys, all these boys, men, guys, they're not men, they're pieces of crap, left alone with juvenile girls to watch them, and then you're shocked at what happens. You would hope people would be better people in general. But this is why female-only facilities should probably only have females in them. I know the left has a hard time with gender. Gender is but a construct, don't you know? And there's there's somehow no, but at the same time, gigantic differences between boys and girls. And yet they continue to allow these men. I mean, this is just one facility. Imagine what's going on elsewhere. One facility. You have men acting like this. I mean, this is, like I said, it is competence on full display. And here's the worst part. Maybe you've read a few articles here or there about this. I know the Herald Leader did an article about this recently. I know a few others. But for a lot of you, as I'm telling this to you, this is the first time you're really understanding the size of the problem Bashir's Department of Juvenile Justice has had when it comes to how they're handling, especially underage girls in their system. Under Bashir, underage girls in our juvenile detention centers have been raped, assaulted, excessive force, ponytails pulled, punched in face, allowed access to sharps while they're on suicide watch, medication withheld, inappropriate relationships. The list goes on and on. And you would think this would be a top of top of the pile issue for Bashir, but it isn't. And, I, and you know, if Cameron doesn't message on these things, you gotta wonder who is running that campaign. Are you asleep at the wheel or what? I mean, put put the social issues to the side. And you guys know how I feel about them, and I feel strong about them, and I think they're winning issues: the transgender issues and the the LGBTQ and the and all those crazy, crazy far left ideas. I think those are winning issues because the vast, vast majority of people don't agree with them. But all this to the side. But this here, it doesn't matter whether you're red, blue, sinner, nobody. I mean, nobody wants children to be raped, beaten, and so obviously mistreated. Nobody wants kids. They're supposed to be in foster care, being housed in offices. Nobody wants girls being raped and beaten. Nobody wants these things. It doesn't matter what party you're in, but yet Bashir's allowed to parade around here with this, I'm a really good guy stuff, while the people he's supposed to be in charge of, the people in his administration, the people that are supposed to be protecting these women and or girls and youths are doing the very same thing are, are the victimizers they're they're it is the state just absolutely destroying these children's lives and Bashir's allowed to walk around here like he's some sort of nice guy if this isn't keeping you up at night and your name's Bashir if this isn't something you're working on time after time after time how can you claim you're a nice guy and that is why Cameron has got to message on these things, in my humble opinion. It just points to the 
failures of the Bashir administration. Bashir wants to say, look at all this economic development I did that he didn't really do. He, he claims it's successes from other people, but won't own up to his own failures. It's enough to make anybody just lose their mind. All right, the fight over school choice is really heating up in Kentucky. We'll have more right after this. All right, the fight over school choice is really heating up in Kentucky. And we are certainly starting to see some indications of just how big of a fight this is going to be. But first, let me go over the reason why it is heating up. So uh, right now we have a, it, it appears that a constitutional amendment will be passed out of our legislature. So constitutional amendments in Kentucky, for those of you who are unaware, the legislature first has to pass it like they would a normal bill. And then it goes to a ballot referendum where it takes uh, a vote by the people, 51% approval on the ballot to vote yes to then changing the constitution. So the majority of people had to vote yes. And then also it has to pass course through our legislature first. And there is a ballot initiative and, and constitutional amendment that appears like it will come up in 2024 on school choice. And what that amendment will say is basically that uh, public dollars that our state can do a, uh, a system where they are allowed to give school dollars to quote unquote private schools in order to uh, allow school choice. That is pretty much what the amendment will say. Of course, they'll use some more lingual language, but that's what it is. And that will be on the ballot in 2024. So this is certainly starting to heat up and causing some issues as we are seeing this pretty much on full display. So why is this starting to heat up so much in the governor's race? Well, um, partially, not only, like I said, the amendment you won't see till 2024, but one thing to understand when it comes to uh, these people is that they need voices. So you have, when you look at our legislature, okay, when you look at uh, all these elected offices, if Bashir loses and a Republican takes over as governor, you really don't have a mouthpiece within the state government itself pushing back on the school choice. It'll simply fall to the very small amount of Democrats uh, in the legislature to somehow use their minuscule platforms that you get from being a House rep or a state senator in the minority um, that, frankly, nobody really cares what you have to say or think because frankly, you Democrats have made themselves irrelevant. There's only 20 in the House. There is seven in the state Senate. That is a total of 27. Um, in our legislature out of 138, they're just pretty irrelevant, especially if Bashir loses. And so that really just falls to what? The chair of the Democrat Party? That's the only person who can... And that's just the media is going to have to go to them to push that out. That Normally, the chair of the parties don't get a huge gigantic platform to speak from. So that's why this governor's race is so incredibly important to proponents of both school choice and people against school choice, because with this amendment coming up, you want that mouthpiece. You want a person who's able to uh, talk about these things. So uh, why do we need the school choice amendment? Why do we got to make a change to our constitution? Well, our state constitution says that it is up to the state needs to provide public funding of schools. And our state uh, Supreme Court, when first school choice laws were first being passed a little while ago, has uh, ruled now not once but twice on another issue that in no way, shape, or form can public 
quote unquote public dollars go to private schools or privately run schools. And, and this flies in the face of, of course, what we see in a lot of other states. There's a lot of states that have school choice. And here in Kentucky, we don't have that system. We see that in places like Nevada and others. And so for that reason, if we want to have any kind of school choice at all in Kentucky, and of course, school choice simply means that you, the parent who has a child, is given a uh, voucher for a certain amount of money, and then you can choose where you want to take your kid to school at. You can take them to the quote-unquote public schools of that area, or you could take them to a private school or nonprofit school, a charter school, whatever schools pop up, and then use your voucher from the state to pay for either if, if that covers the entire tuition, the entire tuition of the school or part of it, and then you can kick in the rest if you so choose to. You'll still be able to go to your public schools. Public schools will still exist. Education will still exist. But now you'll have some choices of where you send your kids. And this certainly, having educational choice, means that it forces these schools now to compete. And this has led to better educational outcomes in a lot of other states that have put in place similar types of programs. So if we want to see school choice, if we want to see this failing school system we have in Kentucky change, well, then we have to pass this constitutional amendment. And so we're seeing some action in the governor's race. Um, there's this campaign ad that came out here over the last week or so um, attacking Annie Bashir. This is from a pro school choice packet. And look, it doesn't matter how you feel about school choice. I mean, we'll get into uh, a little bit of that here in a second, but this is interesting to understand what's going on with school choice. There is arguments against school choice. Uh, really, there's only one that makes any sense to me. And like I said, we'll cover that here in a bit, but take a listen to this ad were dropped off at the wrong stop. Kindergartners were going to the bathroom on the bus because they were there for so long. I tried to not get home until 8 o'clock. Disaster at Jefferson County Public Schools, and Governor Andy Bashir fails to act on numerous solutions before him, including a plan to give parents the right to send their child to their neighborhood school. Governor Andy Bashir, his failed leadership is endangering Kentucky students. All right. So there you go. That is that ad there. And of course, you've heard me on this podcast pointing out how there is some blame to be held here by Bashir. Obviously, he could call that special session to help deal with it. He could have uh, pushed for some educational changes there, and he hasn't. Things that of other people have pushed for. Uh, and obviously, too, as well, he has some abilities at his hands. But regardless, you've seen that come up, and that's being put out there by a pro school choice uh, pack. Now, Cameron himself hasn't made a school choice specific issue on his platform or announced one or what have you. And I think that's mainly due to fear of the teachers unions. We know how the Bashir campaign four years ago really harvested the teachers vote. And so Cameron's doing everything he can to try to push back on that and limit how much damage that can do. However, he has stated priorly he is in favor of school choice. And so is the vast, vast majority of Kentucky. Why? Because our educational system sucks. It just It's just awful. The outcomes, and I've covered this ad nauseum on this podcast, but the outcomes of our educational system here in Kentucky just is deplorable. But he isn't the only race. We'll start to see this heat up. In 2024, you can look to two primaries. One, you'll look to the Killian Timoney versus uh, Thomas T.J. Jefferson. That's right. He is Killian Timoney, the current incumbent, is running against a gentleman with the name Thomas Jefferson. He does go by TJ. 
Now, Timoney uh, has has voted against school choice measures several times. And it's not a shock as to why Timoney, while he is a quote unquote registered Republican, uh, he does work for Fayette County Public Schools. He's in the facilities department at Fayette County Public Schools. And my quote, inside sources there have informed me that the Fayette County Public Schools do lean on Timoney quite a bit to make sure he was voting to defend their interests, even though, of course, it's not the public schools that get him elected. It is his district. And recently, his district was changed to be more conservative and certainly involves uh, some areas of Jesmond County and, of course, other parts of Fayette. And uh, I'm sure TJ will give him a, quite a big run for his money. I'm sure there'll be a lot of money spent in that race for a couple different reasons. One, not just school choice, but Timoney also was the sponsor of the bill to get rid of Pesomatic, the uh, uh, skilled games provider. We've covered that. They were making tons of money, of course, off of it. And so were small business owners. And a uh, law was passed that Timney had sponsored that outlawed these skilled games. And so obviously I think Pesomatic, they'll want some blood on their pike. They'll want some uh, uh, to get their swords a little dirty here. So I'm sure they're going to go after Timoney for that. Well, at the same time, you're going to have pro school choice groups going after Timoney. And I'm sure in defense of Timoney, we'll see those corrupt and dastardly uh, horse tracks coming in with their big money, trying to defend Timoney as he carried that bill for them. Um, in order to uh, protect their monopoly on gambling when it came to the slot machines. But that also isn't the only house race. We're also going to see a rehash, it looks like, of House District 66. So Steve Rawlings trounced incumbent Ed Massey, it's not Thomas Massey, but Ed Massey, state house level, by 38 points two years ago. So Rawlings was supported by a school choice advocacy groups. They got out, they knocked doors for him. They, uh, there was some pro school choice packs that dropped some money against Massey. Why? Because Massey, Ed Massey had voted against school choice measures. And a large part of this could be blamed on the fact he also was a former school board member. So we're going to see a few house races that are also going to show how big of an issue this is going to become because even after, this school choice amendment is passed, well, then you now have to uh, pass legislation to actually then fund the school choice. The amendment just allows us to even consider that bill in the first place and be worth voting on. So now maybe you're against school choice and rural areas have a reasonable argument against and, and, and concerns, and I think I've covered this before, but, uh, you know, these rural areas, they have their public schools. Uh, if you have a bedroom community, a, a county near us would be like Garrett County, where people live in the county, but they work in other counties. And there they have their public schools, but if their kids are given choice of where to go and parents decide to take them to private schools and they have the time to do that because they can uh, take their kids, whether they work in Lexington or Richmond or Danville, they can take their kids there where there is private schools and it's convenient for them because they can drop them off before work, pick them up after work. And now that area of Garrett County won't have as many students and they're concerned if they don't have enough students, they won't be able to fund their schools. Of course, the arguments back is they can downsize, they can uh, control their spending, they can produce better educational outcomes to fight back on that. There's, there's that. But that isn't the real conversation. That is about the only good reason you could be against school choice. However, I can tell you that that's not what the argument is about. 
Um, that, that there is, this is an argument where one side cares about kids and educational outcomes. And then the other side doesn't ever seem to cite, uh, those types of issues. Instead, you know, school choice advocates, they can point to stats about child achievement, all kinds of things like that. Well, public school only advocates, they don't have that. Why? Because they're failing at it. Everybody knows they are. I mean, there's literally nothing public schools do that they've shown to be very good at in all districts across the state. If kids failing, now there's some districts that are good. I'm not going to say there isn't, but if kids failing, JCPS can't get kids to school. They kept kids out for too long. They masked them when parents didn't like that. It is clear that they are not delivering a good product. So, of course, the people that want public schools, they're not pointing to child achievement. No, instead, they make a random claim. One of them you might hear might be, well, public dollars should go to public schools, which is such an odd comment. It doesn't make sense. Imagine if we thought that way about literally anything else. What if we said, oh, public dollars should go to public roads? So that means that the government should be the only one paving the roads. We literally hire private companies to pave our roads. We hire private companies to build our buildings. We hire private companies to sweep the floors of our buildings. We hire private companies to literally do everything for the state other than very small administrative tasks. We hire private companies to make software programs. We hire private companies to do all kinds of things. The argument that public dollars shouldn't go to private industry or private organizations or private nonprofits is simply crazy and false and doesn't make any logical sense. It's education is the only place where they seem to be doing that. Everywhere else, we seem to be perfectly comfortable with outsourcing to private industry. I mean, it's because we realize that it works. So they don't point to child achievement I mean, those who maybe are concerned about the rule issue that I stated elsewhere, maybe they do, but that isn't it. That isn't the honest conversation we're having. No, instead, the groups fighting back are quite clear. In Kentucky, we have something called the 120 AFT, and that is the teachers union. And that is the teachers union here in Kentucky. For a long time, we didn't have a traditional union. Um, we had the... Uh, NEA, I believe it was called, which they said they're not a union, they're just an association, but they sound a lot like a union. But now we have 120 AFT, which is a offshoot of the American Federation of Teachers, which is a teacher's union. And to tell you how they feel about kids, I'm going to give you a quote here from 1985, where their president said, this is president of AFT said, um, when school children start paying union dues, that's when I'll start representing the interest of school children. Now that 36 years after a newspaper printed that quote, AFT tries to uh, claim that he never made that quote, but at least you think that he didn't actually make that quote. Let me quote to you from a TV interview he did that we do a video of where he said, I don't see a voice for students in the bargaining process. I think it's one of the facts of life. It's very much like a strike, let's say, or negotiations in the private sector. The consumer basically is left out. So when it comes to the teachers' unions, they've made it clear that it's not about the kids at all. It's about the teachers. But our educational system was never built to take care of teachers. We, take, we try to take care of teachers because they take care of our kids and we hope happy teachers make happy kids that know what they're doing. But we don't go to schools to think about how well are we teaching 
our teachers? How well are we taking care of them? How well are they being compensated? How well are they all these things? We think about, we talk about how well are our kids learning? How well are they learning? That is our question. That is what we consider. But yet, these groups, they're there to represent the teachers. That is their program. And so when they're out here pushing something, understand it's got nothing to do with child achievement. It has to do with what they think is going to best keep their power and what they think best serves the quote-unquote teachers. But even there, they're starting to get off track because most teachers or more and more teachers are starting to certainly disagree with where their unions are taking them. As I said, I'm an advocate for teachers being properly compensated with what falls in line and being properly taken care of with what they need to be in order to make sure our children have a good uh, amount of staffing for teacher side of things that they're getting the kind of education they need. But what I'm not for is making our educational system about teachers instead of making it about students, which is where it should be. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Thank you all so, so much for joining me. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you back here tomorrow at 1 o'clock.